what is always needed is wisdom, discernment. <clears throat> so it's and of the five indriyas, this is, you know, we say the last, but it's also, you could say it's the first. Mm, you know. So, as we cultivate and uh, begin to look into what's happening and see some of the pitfalls and the snags, snares and the compulsions, uh, then you see, yes, conditions have to be put together in order to get through this, to work through this. This condition of faith has to be aroused, or has to be invited, has to be looked for, has to be requested. Aspiration, rising up, willingness. can't drag yourself in, you wait, you pause, what's really important for me now, what's really important, the best I can see, whereas whereas the faith, the rising aspiration and confidence, and where is the ability to specifically apply energy, Where's that? How does that happen? Mm. What can be framed up? What can we bear in mind? What's important to be mindful of? Yeah. So these are mindful of presence with other people. Bearing that in mind is always, yeah, even when so a truly mindful person always abides with others, even if the others are just the reflections on the Aryans to let oneself be guided by those. We always abide in the field of karma and uh, this must never be uh, neglected because we tend to otherwise abide in some strange dysfunctional field called myself, isolated. Mm isolated, lonely, um, domineering, proud, confused, mm. and taking refuge in the triple gem means you, you want to make that something that you, if you're mindful of anything, constantly mm. said that someone who constantly or abides with this will never go to ruin. So even when one's on one's own, one abides in the company of the Aryans, their example, their companionship, their compassion, their their relentlessness, their ongoing qualities that don't give up. We touch of these, it arouses faith, yeah. Mm. This is what, this is my tribe. They didn't ask me to join. 
but that's what I want to be. And as soon as you make that invitation and request, you're in. <laughs> it's that much, but it comes from the heart. It's not like a, you've got to do, but it's where does your heart rise to? Yeah, the noble ones. The ones who give up, let go, who commit, abandon, possessiveness, hoarding, avarice. Even if I haven't abandoned them, that's where I want to be, so that I, I can reflect on their models. This is what human beings are capable of. <coughs> the Sangha. <clears throat> so, mindful of this, one abides in the triple gem, places one's aggregates in that company, saying, this is what, this is what's here, you know, all on the table, <laughs> all up for, all available. Mm. Mm. This uh, increasing uh, trust and capacity and understanding as we practice. What else are we going to do? Where else are we going to go? Where else there is a safe place, a trustworthy place? You know? So, you know, this is a sense of the, that which can lead us on and that which pushes from behind. Just bear in mind, we're like, uh, we're in a raging torrent, sweeping from birth to death. And there's a raft, you know. So it's got a few splinters in the woods, so. (laughs) So it's not well kitted out, well, so what? (laughs) Just, you know. Not sure whether you whether you're good enough or not. So <laughs> get on the raft you, while you can. Then yeah. yeah. you start to look into that. Uh, so this sense of shifting our vehicle from the self to the you know the besieged self into the chitta. Abiding in triple gem. Mm. It's a kind of foundational quality, refuge quality. And then we say now the self is now the object of my practice rather than the subject of it. And uh, we're going to steer this being, this sense of self. We're going to contemplate it. We're going to, you know. Treat it with respect, but treat it with care, but definitely not let it sneak away. <laughs> you know what it can get up to. <laughs> if it sneaks away from one's surveillance. It goes into, you know, doubt and regret, anxiety and despair, passion and craving. Yeah. So you keep 
keep your eye on it. Handle it carefully. So abiding this way. And retreat gives one a good sense of, of building that up. You know, we have to be with our somewhat frustrating and cantankerous selves. With compassion and uh, mindfulness. So wisdom is needed to really know what's the what's the leader and what's the one you're working with. Get it the other, get it the right way around. If you think you're a person who's going to, you know, decide which bits of Buddha Dharma fit you, <laughs> yeah. Well, careful. You can know, say, looking at causes and conditions, what are the appropriate conditions that would be most suitable when you test and try them and work with them? So, well, you know, you get the basic idea, the basic picture, then you begin to, yeah, that sounds good, but right now, you know, I've got to work on it this way. But still, you keep that picture in mind. There's something that, you know, is uh, virtuous, free from ill will, mm, open? Is it su- supportive of sati, mindfulness, bearing in mind, or is it just clinging, grasping to opinions and views and images and notions? So this is, I mean, the, the samadhi, you know, is collecting oneself. You can look at it very broadly in that sense, gathering oneself, gathering it all, and uh, finding skillful means to really bring it all together, so you're able to contemplate feeling and perceptions, and uh, because you've gathered them all together. And there's a sense in which samadhi is is very helpful for many ways. To enter that properly, you have to replace clinging with mindfulness. So you know, an average uninstructed person will tend to cling, contract, hold on to systems and techniques, energies and so forth, whether they're vigorous or strong or comfortable or uncomfortable, right place, right situation to get it right. Learning tend to cling to those and, and try to be someone who's a good good at it, good meditator or whatever. Yeah, and have that notion. This is what it's about. Well, not really. Mm. The aim is to enter as a certain modesty, realizing, you know, you have to assemble the right conditions and causes, and these are not entirely under my super, my control. Abiding patiently till the karma's ready, karma's ripe. Situations are supportive. And so, if you, you know, so it's something that one enters with a sense of gratitude. Ah, oh, these conditions have arisen, yeah. and there's a mindful bearing in mind the theme of the meditation, rather than holding on to it, waiting for results, asking for something out of it. So, you know, this very much is a very 
precise and sensitive balance, the way that we hold our focus. We practice for no results. We practice just to find that focus. Yeah, because it's not self. It's uh, it's mindfulness. It's uh, yeah, yeah. And then one can entertain doubts. Here I am. Where am I going? Am I doing any good at this? Get frustrated. Get disappointed. And to go through all that, and begin to see that those contractions, those habits, are things to be cleaned out, steamed off, till you return again. As you're returning again, what conditions are supportive? Body, faith, energy, you know, balance. And so it's every time, all the time, we keep waiting, inviting, requesting, and gathering these conditions. Samadhi tends to gather everything together, unify, and wisdom tends to pull things apart. You might think these are contradictory, but not quite. You know, what the point of Samadhi is to gather things, to let things together without the presence of uh, clinging. So there's a sense in which there's a softness to it, which it begins, things begin to gather, the mind begins to collect on its own because it's happy and contented, not because I pushed it into a corner and, and, shut, and made it shut up. <laughs> so that in a way, one of the key turns in samadhi is when the, the jitta rises, sense of piti, sukha, it, you don't make it happen, it happens. Then, ah... The jitta is now willing, it's happy, it settles down, and we've created the right conditions, not harsh, not fluttering, not wavering, but a gentle, steady quality that allows the jitta to arise rather than be dragged in and uh, gripped. So that it's a soft but quality, and it gradually firms up with confidence as one's energies, bodily and mental, begin to form into that frame of reference. So there's mindfulness. Mindfulness is the abiding characteristic of that, rather than clinging. So it's a kind of purifier, really. At least it gives us a sort of temporary, what it could be like when one isn't pushing or hanging back. One when isn't expecting results or wavering. When the mind isn't forced, but not passive either. It's receptive and attuned. So, oh yeah, it could be really quite beautiful. And it's a, it's a, and this has arisen because of conditions and causes came together. And wisdom is to be able to discern those conditions and causes. Yeah. What is it that allows the jitta to come forth and the self-view to decline? So in this way, wisdom begins to tease open our experience. What is, what's in here? Look into this. What's in here? And particularly, you know, 
of course, there can be a lot in there, any given moment. But the one thing, if there's one thing, <laughs> or one property to look out for, it's the uh, upadana, the clinging experience. So often the push of tanha is so immediate that we don't even recognize it. Suddenly we're with, there's a sense of being somewhere or in this. So generally in this sequence of, of vedana, feeling, tanha, craving, upadana, clinging, then most people say, well, you can actually, you can cut between clinging and craving. And as you begin to acknowledge craving, or oh no, you've been acknowledged as clinging, and you see what what is there to be clung to, and also who does the clinging. And it's both of these. You know. The me sense occurs both as volitional, that is I do, and also this happens to me. And with wisdom, we begin to recognize both those statements are false. There's a volitional push. Yeah. That happens through, un- through ignorance, through not seeing things clearly, through an absence of clarity. There's a volitional push, a twitch, an instinct, a reaction, a reflex, a contraction. I didn't decide to do that. <laughs> it happens. And then the sense comes up, probably even more poignant, oh, I've gone and done it now. Now I'm stuck in this. How can I get out of this? You know, I've got all these problems I'm stuck with. <laughs> yeah, I've got these repetitive habits that keep happening to me. And this is also very, very uh, um, pernicious and, and extremely painful and frustrating. Actually, who's that? You can look at the, um, you know, say, look at the face of the mind. We arrive into these stuck positions. Who is she? Who is he? What does he look like? Is that really? It may be quite familiar, but still recognizing I can be the awareness of that, or there can be the shift to the awareness of that, which seems so stuck, depressive, shy, weird domineering, whatever. I can be the witness of that. That's what, is a, that's what the bawa, that's what's become, that's what's come into being as a result of this upadana, as a result of the clinging. It's like that. And then just a sense of softening, widening. It's just a form, psychological form, What's the response? What's needed? What's the response with that? What's needed with that? What's needed with that as it plans, as it decides, as it decides to lock me up, as it decides to close me down, as it decides to shut down the chitta into, well, this is the way you are, you're always this way, you're never going to be much different, let's face it. You know, you've got these issues and problems, you've done this a thousand times, so there, there's the lock. And jitta is then obscured. We don't see the measureless, timeless quality of jitta. We get locked into time, identity, that's who I am. 
But there can be the awareness of that, can't there? Can you maintain, is it possible for that awareness to stand in the presence of one's lockness, one's imprisonment, one's failure, whatever? Uh-huh. What's needed here? Aryan practice, we always give it some compassion. You never give up on it. What's needed here? Could be just, just pause, feel how it is in your body, mm. breathing in, breathing out, softening. Is it possible to have some sense of compassion or mm, towards that? Whether it changes or not, this is a practice, it doesn't matter whether it changes, eventually it doesn't even matter because you know, I have the possibility of generating compassion, patience, equanimity, dispassion. That's my privilege. Whether it receives it or not, you don't know. But this is what I can do. I'm not just going to get completely frozen out in this state. And then that's, that's the melting point. The chitta can always come through. You don't get mesmerized by conditions. Handling conditions, rather than getting mesmerized by them, fascinated or overwhelmed by them. This is wisdom. The understanding of conditionality. And the understanding of the, the, the upadana, clinging to them. And the Buddha has presented this in in a number of ways. Yeah, first of all, he said, well, there's the four bases of upadana. It occurs, not that you do it, but it occurs around sense, sense doors, around sense pleasure. There's a kind of focusing in, seeing things in that way, and moving into that which can cause pleasure to arise on the sensory level. Is this unusual? No. You you can witness that. And as you do so, you well, what is it that moved in? Who is that? It seems like me. It was an energy, wasn't it? That was actually moved. Energy moved in, a focus narrowed, and there was a sense of anticipation this will cause pleasure to arise in me. That. Who does it arise in? It flushes through. There's a run of, of pleasant feeling, maybe. It disappears, it fades. Who was that? <laughs> it's just a, nobody, really, nobody really got it. Nobody really obtained it. Nobody's able to store it. It just touched and moved through. So you learn something about this. And that ongoing humility to recognize, yes, I'm someone who is definitely affected by the mirage of sense pleasure. Well, let's witness it rather than just either deny it or get bashful about it or something. Just notice that, okay, there's that. And now I, you know, take a position of, of witnessing who does that happen to? Who does it? land on who does no there's nobody there it's just this movement of that and increasingly 
contemplating that and contemplating how transitory the flush of pleasant feeling is and, and the agitation it causes, the mind is stirred and agitated and trembly, both with the anticipation, oh wow, that'd be nice, and then that moment of oh, and then fading, and then there's a kind of rocking afterwards, like a like something that's just rushed through the water and just, everything's rocking around for a moment or two before it feels slightly um, unfocused, get excited and not really focused anymore. We've lost, something's been lost. And then we look for something else to hold on to. And something begins to sense, this is rather tedious actually. <laughs> this process is a bit wearisome. <laughs> but there are definitely, there are sense objects and how to handle them wisely, appropriately, for one's benefit, yeah. So in this respect, the Buddha said, "Well, you know, you need food, you need shelter, you need things to wear, you need medicines, you know, and you do that. And some are pleasant, some are not so pleasant. Some get tedious, ordinary. Still, you, you use them, but gradually through using them, you realize what they're used for, just for this body, keep it going, uh, and yeah." The pleasant or the neutral or the slightly pleasant or whatever is just that which happens. You don't have to make anything out of it really. Causes and conditions. So, you know, the, the, so, so some people can see this, but it's more difficult to see the clinging that occurs around particular standpoints or views. Well, the, the, get adopted, one is into becoming something or assembling a self-image in the presence of, like, I have this, I am this, this is my stand, or I've got this, or I am this, or I believe in this. I feel something fills that up and feels solidified by a particular view. And the opposite movement is, I stand apart from that, I have no sympathy with that, it's nothing to do with me, you know take a position on that, take a stand on that. And based upon this we get the whole dissonance around views. So I remember I was at an, sometimes at the airport and wearing these particular clothes then naturally one attracts a certain amount of attention. Um, so, uh, you know, people think I'm some kind of Buddhist. <laughs> You're going to wear something. <laughs> well, Buddhist, I must believe in Buddhism. And so, what do you Buddhists believe in? You're a Buddhist, what do you, you're a Buddhist. I said, well, I suppose I am. That's what people call me. So, what do you believe in? And I said, well, I'm not really certain exactly what I believe in. I don't really do that very much. This person said, <laughs> this person said, well, we believe God is supreme and made heaven and earth and mankind. This is what we believe in. I said, uh-huh. Do you believe that? I said, I'm not certain yet, I haven't really given it much thought. <laughs> but maybe you're right. <laughs> maybe you did. <laughs> so 
So we said, what do you believe? I said, we don't really, we don't really believe, we just practice. He said, but God made it all. I said, well, maybe he did. Good. <laughs> but what's it going to do with me? <laughs> You know, if that's what helps you, that's good for you. Uh, that hasn't happened. <laughs> so, you know, so we practice. You don't have to refute other people's views or claim your own. You just uh, recognize a view. If it's held to, what does it generate? Hold to a viewpoint. Stand for take a stand on something as an ultimate thing. What does it What does it generate? Hardens you up, gives you seemingly a firm foundation, and a source of conflict with other people. So you think, no, I do. Do we need that? Isn't it better just to practice instead? Denying suffering, non-suffering, things change. <laughs> you start to what's you know. Oh, I have a, you know, this is useful for me at this particular time. These are things I'm bearing in mind at this particular time. Mm. So there's a lightness about it. You know, the appropriate conditions to bring together, not... Another kind of uh, clinging or the way that attachment tends to form because the viewpoint gives one the sense of uh, invites this possibility for being really solid and uh, self, essentially. And it's bound to cause conflict, as we can see. Another kind of uh, place that clinging focuses around is called silabhata. The term is silabhata paramasa. Paramasa means the, a fondling, a cherishing of sila bhatta. Sila uh, can mean morality. Uh, it means generally any any prescribed mode of behaviour. We can, might call it systems in general. But uh, means that which we done repeatedly builds up a custom. So the two are sort of systems and customs. This is generally translated, well, it has been translated rites and rituals, which was a good attempt maybe, but for many people it doesn't really mean very much, actually, because most people are not doing rituals. <laughs> but systems, everybody's operating according to a, a system. Yeah or wishing to get get it together, get their week together, their day together, you know, the time they do this and that and the other, the Christmas, the vacation, um, you know, and you get, where you can lay a table, the forks on this side, the knife's on this side, you know, this thing is working according to systems and customs, which can again be a source of, of tribulation when you go to other countries where they have different systems and customs. Yeah. And with that, uh, which seems to be just in one way, is just a way of arranging things so that we don't have to keep 
debating and negotiating how to do things. You know, there are systems that actually allow a sense of comfort and ease and appropriate while well, we're on the same page, we're all playing the same game as it were in this particular thing. And then it's helpful. But the um, pitfall of it, clinging to it, means that this is the only way. This way is right, other ways are wrong. And certainly religions suffer from this, don't they? You, know, you can get people furious about the particular way to hold a, a sacrament or way the chanting should be done or particular pieces of religious external convention. You can get very heated. And then the factionism occurs. So, you know, but even beyond that, people will tend to operate in terms of time they get up, time they go to bed. Uh, Working day very much acts as a system organizer. People generally will flow their lives around the working work model uh, without really questioning uh, that. This is the system is set up. So basically the working is something like 50 weeks a year. Wow. You know, in a system. And the system, you know, it's quite evident. This is not about making your life, well, it, it's about getting, getting you to work so we can make money out of you. <laughs> out of your efforts. It's not about ethics, it's not about awakening, it's not about compassion, it's not about liberation. It's pretty straightforward. This is about earning dough, <laughs> some money, <laughs> maybe a bit of status so you get some more cred, but uh, that, that's the nature of it. Yeah? It's pretty out front about what it's about. And with the idea that this will make you happy, of course, which, which we all know it, it doesn't. And one's life is modelled around that system. So all everything else, relationships, where you go, how you operate, operates, you know, around that. That's a system. And it certainly lets you know who you are. You're a dentist or a something or the other, you know. And therefore you associate with other people. There's the information you take and it gradually moulds and shapes you. So you become that which has been clung to, that which has been held, you become it, you flow into that. And it's not just the the name or the identity, but the speed, um, the energies, the things you think about, the performance goals, you flow at your chitta, your beingness is flowed into that particular stream. And there's a sense there's no other option than that. So, certainly, you know, I got that message pretty clear <laughs> when I was about 18, 19. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just noticing, uh, you know, my, my family and parents are always working. And so, you know, sometimes when... Uh, my father worked very, very hard, and even when when my brother, who's older than me, said, "You know, when I came along, and my father worked even harder at uh, 
into the night so that he could have at least a weekend off so that he could spend time with his sons. So he'd actually sacrifice himself even more just so he have some time to be with his, his children. You know, they're working till eight, ten o'clock at night. You know, never hardly saw him. But on the weekends he could so he could turn up at the weekends and take us out and do things together. So the system, you know, and eventually died overwork, really. Same as my grandfather died from overwork. Died actually when he was driving a cart, heart attack just toppled over, that was the end of him. <laughs> you know, so the systems and you can look at some of these the 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 war system, what it does to, to men who go to war, how it ruins their lives, how they get shot, they come back traumatised, dysfunctional, poured into that particular system. Yet we still believe, somehow, that we need a defence policy. It's called a defence policy. <laughs> what are we defending? <laughs> what are we defending? not defending the chitta, are we not protecting the chitta? What are we defending, for goodness sake? Notions and theories, democracy and freedom. <laughs> and the amount of ruin through attachment to that, pouring people's lives into these things. And so it goes on, and we still believe in things like nation and all that stuff, and dogmas and politics and all that stuff, and we lose humanity. So in many ways, this is a little more than just rites and rituals. <laughs> it's systematization of the human being something that's boundless and measureless and in naturally imbued with brightness and compassion and love and joy just driven into this madness. So we can look at this as, you know, in many ways really. So it's not just the minor thing, not the small thing. Not just a matter of, you know, whether you bow to shrines or not. <laughs> Rites and rituals, systematization. Uh, so, you know, here we are, we live in a world where this is prevalent. Uh, is there any possibility to step back, to play it, to say, well, what am I, what am I here for? What's important? If I wish to give my service, and okay, that's going to have to be structured in. Does that structure allow me to give my service to offer, or is it just something that's going to get on my back and drive me? And is it possible to negotiate that? These are things to bear in mind because our lives are systematized. We do have structure. We need structure to operate, to enter mutuality, to enter into social engagement, to enter into being with another person, what's the appropriate way for mutuality? Well, how's this going to work for you? What custom and system is going to help us come together and bring out our, our beauty, rather than how are we going to gang up and beat somebody else up? 
or prove we're right, or we're the best, <laughs> superior. You know? No. You kind of contemplate. You look at the, you look at the world. In fact, you know there's the communists and the democrats and the Islamists and so forth. And so, you know different things we can we can find fault with. They're all definitely you can find fault with all of it, really. But when it comes down to it, basically the one law is. The people with the money and the guns get on top, <laughs> whatever they call it, <laughs> whatever the ideology is, and it's always a minority. Yeah. You know, so you, you contemplate. That's where that's where it goes. Yeah. That's where systems and can go to domination and exploitation and crippling. So these are not small matters. And as we look into the microcosm of our own mind, how much of our life is just, we feel it's almost already sold. We've already structured ourselves into, that's the way I have to be, I've got to do this, I'm always like that. Yeah. Well, no, just give yourself a chance, you know, so in my life, you know, as a as a monk, then clearly I've got all kinds of systems I operate under and customs. I'm stacked up with them. <laughs> you know, thousands of rules and obligations and so on. Is this the path to freedom? All these things I've got to obey and stuff I don't even really think is that important, but for me personally, but okay, that's the way we do it. You know, I could get by without wearing this grubby old robe, but uh, that's the way we do it, and it, it has its uses. Uh, and then, you know, taking on those lots of training rules and the same routines every day, you know, more or less. So you don't say, do I feel like going to the morning chanting? Do I feel like meditating? No, it's there. You do it. And always it's a sense in which you do it from your own volition. You think, yeah, I could find a way out, but actually I don't trust that. I know that manipulative, sneaky thing. I don't trust it. I just put it there and see what happens. And commit, 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 commit. Not because you like it, but because you want to get out of self. You want to get out of the me calling the shots all the time. And then it's useful. But there's always the feeling of, yeah, but remember, you decided to commit. Nobody asked you to. There wasn't enrollment. You, you know, nobody was kind of forcing you into You decided. And you can always say, enough. You can leave. That's definitely, many people, most, many people, most people do. That's okay. Uh, but you decided. And you decided... And you can decide now. So you go, yeah. yeah, I know what happens when I'm when the me is in charge. I know it's going to go pleasant feeling. <laughs> don't want that painful stuff. Interesting things. Don't want boring stuff. <laughs> you know, just the people I really like. 
not the people I'm kind of indifferent to. I know where that's going to go. No, I don't trust that. Yeah, I want to open to it all. Just take it on. Yeah. Then we use systems, customs, and still, you know, every day, because not just the training rules and all that, and say, well, I don't, you know, but it's helpful for other people, or a sense of it creates a norm. When you see one monk, you get a sense of what you're going to get. It's a franchise. Basically, this is what you expect. <laughs> You know, there's individual flavors in that, but it's basically the same model. <laughs> so it gives them, yeah, I know what to do with these things, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's okay, that, that's good enough. I don't have to, you, there's a certain anonymity in it, you know, which means it kind of gives you a freedom. Because anyway, you know, it's the monk they support, not the me. And they, they sense you did hold it up. Because it, it generates that faith and that interest and people want to do it. Uh, great. Well, it brings forth their faith, their generosity and their trust and their sense of safety. That's beautiful. Mm. So, you know, I'd always consider that, particularly after my second or third year, because I didn't really get it at first. I thought it's just the way to be able to stay in the monastery and continue meditating. Without, you know, didn't have to get a job. Then after, <laughs> truly, the idea of having to get a job terrified me. <laughs> I saw what happened to my dad, <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know, so uh, I don't do that. But then after a couple of years, I could see oh, actually people, you know, they seem to light up for the possibility of someone, something they could trust, someone they felt safe with. There was a meeting in gentleness. And, and quietness and appreciation and generosity and it's beautiful. I can hold up my bit of that. Yeah. And I'm there, there's me to be with people in a way which is less I've got to prove something, be good enough, worry about how they feel about me, whether I'm really this, that or the other. I just can't. I just, God knows. Life as a person is so difficult. <laughs> I found it very difficult. <laughs> so then you can use that thing, did I commit to this? And it sort of pushes one forward in a certain way and holds one back in another way. You can't say, well, today I'm not a monk anymore, I'm just kind of just me, I'm incognito. <laughs> <laughs> you know, going to civvies for a day so I can slip out. No, you can't, you've got to wear the same, you've got to be show up, you know. And... Uh, so something in me just wants to just hide sometimes, kind of bury myself somewhere I don't have to be seen. Yeah, you know, I have to, you know, but I notice that I'm quite, you know, it's something that's quite shy and, and awkward in social contact, you know, uncertain in social contact. So it just holds you into a certain social contact where you don't have to be all the things you know, interesting, funny, attractive, wise, or, you know, you just show up and feel the anxiety and the uncertainties of the self. When you don't feel that great, you don't feel that good, you don't quite know what to do, you can you know, just show up and be with that. And contemplate the self, the person, as it struggles and 
be the awareness of that. So it's a good way of holding, I find. But also look at the commitments in terms of the the things I would do, routine things, always being an abbot, you know, which I wasn't personally motivated towards, but I did it because loyalty to my teacher I'm eternally grateful to, Ajahn Sumato. So, okay, it needs looking after, I'll, I'll see what it does to me. And it, you know, it takes you through a lot of stuff. Trying to make it the best place, the good place, place everybody's happy at, place where people live in harmony, place where everything fits, place where everything's running on time, you know, finances are okay, rabbits are behaved, the, you know, <laughs> neighbours are nice, friendly, and you just go, well, that's a route, that, you know, having, you know, fast, high-speed rail to disaster on that level. So as well, you just show up and do what you can and be with it in the sense of responsibility and never being able to quite get it right and to keep emptying, 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 emptying. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to be in this. Good, so it's time to be in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Till it stops. I think this is a good thing because it's emptying me of my wish to succeed, make everybody happy. Yeah, it's emptying me of that fear. So then we can use these things because it always comes down to a squirmy point. Yeah, and under it all is this the last and the most powerful kind of clinging. The root of it all is the clinging to the notion of a self, which are really essentially aggregates, volitional tendencies, perceptions, things that seem to be interesting or fun or disgusting to me. Okay, check it out. How bad is it? Yeah, so certainly in my life quite a lot, a lot of it, it's actually quite, in ordinary life, it's pretty tedious, you know, going to things you're not particularly interested in, you just show up. And how good does it have to be? How wonderful do it have to be? What am I expecting? You know, this is useful. Perceptions, feeling. Don't want to be with uncomfortable feeling. I never want to be with uncomfortable feeling. I totally dis- I dislike uncomfortable feeling. It shouldn't happen to me, uncomfortable feeling. Particularly emotionally uncomfortable feeling is downright embarrassing, frustrating, disappointing, humiliating. So bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> you just move in and see what happens in that. And so... This is, as I certainly as I move into different places, you go to a country where you don't speak the language, you can feel pretty weird. Particularly wearing this, you can't really just slip in under the radar. And, okay, here's that. And, hmm, feeling is this way, perceptions are this way, volitional formations are this way. Hmm, awareness is like this. So there's a sense of, you know, commitment, which is a conscious commitment, which means your commitment to the indriyas, the mindfulness, 
triple gem, commitment to chitta, to that, and handling and dealing with the grasping, contracting aggregates, which are always pushing. The triple gem never pushes. It just it arises, we say. And a certain modes in which one begins to operate internally and externally through that, through, through mindfulness, I call it negotiating. Mindfulness is negotiated contact, negotiated frame of reference. It's always, how is this? What's going to firm up within this? Uh-huh. Back, forward, wider, softer, closer, firmer, in negotiating. How is this? How is this? How is Vitakavichara? How is this? Uh, and certain phrases, you know, you offer. You offer. Whether the offer is received or not, you offer. Mm. You invite. You don't demand, you invite. You request. Offer, invite, request. And you're doing this to your chitta, and you try to cultivate that in the way you live. Offer, invite, request. Not, you know, claim, demand, (laughs) or pull back, or just go numb in a kind of state of don't know what to do. Where we just become bystanders in our lives, looking on, wondering what it was all about. There's a sense of skillful volition, karma that leads to the end of karma, skillful inclination, skillful intentionality, which is the intentionality based upon we offer, we offer presence, I open into the present, yeah, I request, may, may you know, skillful conditions arise, what's helpful here, What's the question about it? And I invite, may this happen, may this be well. Mm. Uh, Internally, externally. And it's it's the karma, the particular actions which are negotiated in a sense of always allowing to listen in to where does the response happen, the true response, which isn't the person, it's a jitta, rises, and you feel a sense of, yeah, I'm here for this. It rises. Mm. And it can be surprising. Mm. It should be. Pause, ask what's helpful here. You don't know. Hold the faith, the aspiration in in the power of jitta, saying, please, I invite. I'm open, I'm available, I'm present. And you wait for some kind of sense of an arising of, oh, 
she finally asked rather than demanded. <laughs> she finally asked rather than forgot me altogether and went on her, you know, habituated way. She asked. Oh, well, gentle arising, cautious arising of faith. And then, yeah, that's what's that? Oh. And you see, suddenly there's a lot more potential. And one is, how can that be applied? Firmed up, made much of. Mm. Offer. Please go here, try this. Try attending to this. Mm. Try walking. Yeah. Find a new way to be with your thought. Maybe that's something to be able to not be frightened of thought or opinionate or say you should have no thought but how does thought happen? Maybe that's something it could be worth studying those causes and conditions. So there's an opening and there's the the Buddha said you know the doors the deathless are open for those who bring forth their faith and listen. You listen to what? Past the flurry of the thinking mind, you listen into where does the jitta rise? Where does it, you know, it hasn't got a fixed strategy or a fixed plan, it just starts to rise and then you wait. And you say, try this, try this, try this, try this, and you listen. Yeah, there's an opening here. I was looking for an opening there, but it happened here. Okay, we'll go this way. This way one is, is led by chitta, rather than led by personal strategies, customs, systems, desires, sense, pleasures, views and opinions. And this way one will never regret. Goes strength. The journey can be very strange, but you realise finally, all you've got is that. Everything else, abandon it. Doesn't mean reject it, hate it. Means just don't take a stand upon it. Don't take a stand upon it. Don't kick it away. Don't take a stand upon it. What you really have is jitta. Give it the chance to speak to you and need you. Trust it, you won't regret it. You're trusting something that's measureless, never gives up on you, cannot give up on you. It's for your long-lasting welfare and happiness. Mm.